quick disclaimer, we would like to apologize if you experience problems with the sound quality in this interview. Uh, we did the best we could, um, but sometimes it can get a little bit sketchy. So apologies for that, uh, but I hope you'll still be able to enjoy the episode. Thanks. Episode 7 of the Skeptically Inclined Science Podcast. I'm your co-host Evan. And I'm your co-host Tom. Today we have a very special episode where we are joined by the Ig Nobel Prize founder, Mark Abrams. Not to be confused with the other Mark Abrams, the writer of John Wick, who we're going to have on our podcast next week. No, just, jo- <laughs> just joking. As well as being the founder of the Ig Nobel Prize, He has many other accolades, including being featured in one of Japan's most popular manga. He he writes uh, his own journal. Annals in the Improbable Research. And as well, he has his own podcast. Yeah, so we're super grateful for him to being on the episode. Um, Do you have anything else to add, Tom? Um, No, Evan, you sums sums it up pretty good. So guys, just um, enjoy our our conversation with Mark. It was really insightful. We learned about him, the Ig Nobel Prize. Um, Yeah, it was overall very enjoyable. So tune in. And before we go into the conversation, if you wanted to read again about the winners, uh, you should see it on our Instagram and on our Twitter. Um, It might help uh, to give more context to some of the papers we were discussing. Hello, Mark, and uh, you're very welcome to the Skeptically Inclined Science Podcast. Uh, as I said, we're very, we're very grateful that you agreed to come on the, come on the podcast and talk to, us, uh, talk to us about what you do and, and who you are. So uh, maybe before we, we start all of the questions, uh, you would actually, actually tell a little, little bit about yourself to our audience and what you do. Sure. Well, my name is Mark, Mark Abrams. I edit a magazine called The Annals of Improbable Research. And I also uh, started and uh, organize a ceremony that happens every year called the Ig Nobel Prize Ceremony. All of this is about collecting things that exist out there everywhere that make people laugh and then make them think. So things that are so surprising to most people that anybody's first reaction is just to laugh but then there's something about it that sticks in your mind and you you want to keep thinking about it and you want to talk it over with your friends um so are you up to much now that this year's ceremony is over or are you looking already for next year's winners Um, yeah we're we're organizing constantly we give 10 prizes every year and uh, we're always looking and people are always sending us things. Anybody can send us a nomination. and Usually we get something like 10,000 or so new nominations a year. And we're also looking into the past, not just things from the past, from the most recent year. Go back as much as about 50 years or so. Uh, right now, part of my time is organizing the second part of the Ig Nobel uh, festivities. In a normal year, we have a very elaborate ceremony over here in the U.S. in Massachusetts at, at Harvard University in the biggest theater here. Um, the winners come from around the world and all sorts of things happen. And then two days later, the winners give uh, free public talks, very short lectures, and, and take questions from the audience. We couldn't do that this year because you can't have people gathering. <laughs> it's not safe. And also nobody, nobody can travel to the U.S. And nobody who could travel to the U.S. wants to travel to the U.S. You know, if, they're, if they have any sense right now. So we, uh, this year, completely re-engineered everything we were doing with the ceremony. And we recorded all the pieces in advance secretly and then edited them together and webcast that a few weeks ago when we announced the new winners. Um, that was a great adventure for us and I think for everybody concerned and we're pretty happy with the way it turned out. The second part of it, the, the lectures, is what we're working on right now and that's involving some, some coordination um, uh, adventures also with people being scattered around the world. 
So that's part of what I'm doing. Then the magazine, of course, has to get out every two months, and there's lots of stuff on the website and lots of other activities going on, um, including our uh, our podcast and uh, all sorts of. So yeah, I'm staying busy. I actually, uh, I actually watched. Uh, of course, I watched the 2020 uh, uh, ceremony uh, when it was remotely done, and I also watched the one from 2016 and uh it's just i was it was so science friendly the the whole ceremony and you know people that you have there presenting the prizes the nobel the, the nobel laureates mm -hmm. and it's because i'm just i'm just recently came back from the vi virtual conference myself and um, i remember when i was in preparation for it i was asking my supervisor should i show this and this and he said oh maybe maybe don't put this because you know some people can steal your idea if you show too much information and so there is so so you go to this conference but you still think there's a little bit of competition but when i was watching the Ig nobel prize ceremony it was it felt like it was free of any sort of competition or anything like that. It's just people who, who love science and who appreciate science just gather together to celebrate this. And it was, uh, it's just, it's something special. I, like, yeah, well, I thanks. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, also a lot of people who come to the ceremony and, and people who, who talk to us later who saw the webcast every year or heard it on radio or whatever um, tell us that a lot of them usually are not very interested in science, but they, they are when the Ig Nobel stuff happens because there's a lot of, you know, everybody has the experience that you, you hear about things that some scientist is doing and you think, oh, this is, I have no interest in this. This is so obscure. Nobody could possibly care about this. And then maybe you hear one very strange detail that you want to know more about. And I think almost everything is like that, but it's not always easy to see what those interesting details are if you're on the outside. So that's what a lot of what we try to do is, is try to look in and see, are there some details here that would be intriguing to somebody? All it takes is one intriguing thing, and then you start paying attention. Well, that's, I think, a lot of what we try to do, like look at and see what, what they're trying to say, and is there something interesting to say? So. Um... Yeah, it's kind of, it's interesting to yeah. hear you say that. Yeah, um, and the, 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 if I could ramble on a little bit too yeah. about the, the competition thing that you mentioned, that um, it's a funny problem, especially in science, that, yeah, there is a lot of competition in most fields, and yet it's competition with just a tiny number of people, really. Uh, there's just, a, from almost every piece of science that's being done, it's such hard work to to understand enough that you can begin to do that that there really are very other very few other people who have done that amount of work and can even have a discussion with you so the competition is really really limited to a small number of people in, in most cases and aside from that competition the bigger problem almost everybody has is that nobody ever notices no matter what you do <laughs> Yeah, for every scientist, it's true for everybody else in the world almost, but especially for scientists that you can do, you can come up with the most amazing and valuable thing and nobody knows about it. And you can go crazy trying to get people to pay attention. And it's just difficult to do. Can I, so it's your 30th year now of doing the, the Improv yeah. Nobel Prize. Did you ever imagine that it would become what it is today? Yeah, <laughs> but I didn't know, you know, when you, when you start doing something, you always have hopes that it will get bigger and, and a lot of people will want to get involved and will get involved, but you never know for sure how it's going to go. It yeah. involves, that involves a lot of luck you know, and a lot of work as well, but it, really there's an awful lot of luck involved about what is able to um, have a long life and mm. what is able to um, to attract attention from people so they want to get involved with it yeah um what was there what did you found do you have found that things have changed or kind of remained unchanged over the years in science when or this type of science that you were looking for have you found like more recently that it's 
that you can find more e- these papers that you're interested in or is it more like old past papers um i think there's more of everything for one thing because over the past 30 years the internet has blossomed from a little thing that only a few academics used into something that is pretty close to universal that's changed everything and it's it's not just the internet itself it's that the internet has has led to a lot of um a lot of things in the world becoming much more available to the public uh there's a lot of stuff that was existed only on paper in a few places and if you didn't know about it and you weren't in those places and you did not have permission to go and see the paper you'd never see it now that's very different now most of what you would hear about and want to see you can you can find a way to see it pretty quickly even if it's uh, in a journal science journal where you need to subscribe for a lot of money to it even so there are ways to see it you can write to whoever wrote it and often they'll send you a copy or there are public copies put up someplace or other ways but that's that's changed really drastically over 30 years not just for us but for everybody for us that's been great it means that when we're looking for obscure things and we're trying to then chase down the details of it we can actually get a lot further a lot quicker it used to involve an awful lot of time spent in libraries looking for the right old book hoping that it exists in this library and that 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 uh edition of the book uh, didn't get destroyed somehow or stolen <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. if it turns out that that book doesn't really have what you need you've got to go find something so everything was much much more slow to 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 chase down a piece of information and then if you chased it down to to walk off on the next step of your journey uh to to see what's there so that's yeah. that's really been a, a a great great improvement in the world as far as i'm concerned yeah it's made it a lot easier it seems I mean. yeah and it's and but everything everything has good and bad sides to it the bad side of that is it's also really easy now to get overwhelmed with how much information you find and a lot of it for most purposes for any particular person at any moment is worthless it's just <laughs> you know it's 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 clogging it's it's there's so much stuff to get through so at the same moment yeah. it becomes easier to go and seek things but once you are out there seeking them it becomes easier to be overwhelmed with the the, the great amount of stuff that, that also is there yeah. in the same place yeah no i i can imagine like now more than ever there's just so much available whereas maybe back in the day like at least might have been a bit more uh bearable to see what could be confined yeah it's just like it's just so much information i think in a way the role of editors everywhere has become much more important although that's not often discussed because there is so much stuff and unless there are people who can organize it and select some of the best stuff and make sure that gets seen a little more most things are still going to remain hidden yeah do do you ever seek out nominations from uh, reliable nominators or do these crazy papers just find their way to you who's reliable where when you're when you're dealing with things that are for us we're, we're we're trying to deal with things that are very surprising to almost everybody so who who i'm asking you who is reliable about yeah. knowing where there are surprising things? And <laughs> uh, maybe keeping it within the within the team, was there ever a topic or a um, something that you come across that you thought like, oh, this is too much even for the Eek Nobel Prize? <laughs> oh yeah, but that doesn't stop us. We just <laughs> <laughs> we 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 pause for about one minute and then say, well, let's look at this and uh, and quite often even if there is something that you think is really offensive to people or something when you start looking at the details you discover that mm-hmm. that's not really the the main story here there's so much more going on the the best example of that i think is um a piece of science that was done in the netherlands in rotterdam oh. 
and I think you know what I'm going to tell no, you. No, I don't. Oh, yeah, I, I, uh, he was at the talk yeah, on... It, uh, it, uh, yeah, it that won was, the, the Ig Nobel Biology Prize in the year 2003, Case Muliker, who is now the director of the Natural History Museum in Rotterdam, who studies birds. That's his specialty. He's an ornithologist. He noticed something very surprising. And uh, after several years of mentioning it to his friends, his fellow scientists, and, and several years in which they all told him, look, you need to write this down. You need to publish a report about this where other people can see it. He finally did write it down and publish it in a very small journal. Somebody sent us a copy of that. That's how we learned about it. And it is the, what he wrote is the first scientifically um, described case of homosexual necrophilia in the mallard duck. Now, no matter, when you first hear about that, no matter what you, you think about it, no matter what you think you know about it, there's so much more and it's so completely different and it opens up completely new worlds, no matter who you are. And I have, I, I've, I have been traveling with Case in many countries where we've done public events with all kinds of audiences. And when you look at the faces of people in the audiences, some of the people, that, that duck has become pretty famous, but in any audience, there are quite a few people who've never heard of it. This is their first time. And we're, we're watching their face at the moment they're first hearing about it. And you can see there are always a few people, generally older, who you can see they're, they're all set to become really angry about this. They, they know they should be angry about it. But then they hear some of the details, and you can see their face relaxes, and they start smiling and laughing, and then they're interested. And, and so it's a complete transformation in, in what happens to them in their mind in a minute. It's, it's quite but did, wonderful but to did see. Did you ever think of not including it? Because I was like, okay, this is like, people won't, won't understand it, or people yeah. will think this is wrong. When we pick winners, we as a group, um, the Ig Nobel Board of Governors, and we argue, that's in a way the main thing we do. We have long, heated arguments oh, yeah. about things. No matter what comes up in any group of people anywhere, there are always going to be some who think, oh, this is good, and some people who think, oh, this is terrible. And so there's always an argument. And uh, we, yeah, we, we don't let that stop us. You know, the argument is just one step along the way. <laughs> nice um yeah this is one of our questions from our listeners actually how how is it perceived in the science community the ig nobel prize has anyone ever got offended from winning <laughs> do you think or do you know yeah well things have changed quite a bit in the early years a lot of people assumed that we were in the business of attacking scientists and insulting scientists which we never were and so we went to a lot of trouble from the very beginning to try to make it clear that's not what we're doing. That's part of the reason that we've had very famous scientists involved in the ceremony from the very beginning. It's, it's just the fact that they're there should be a symbol to people that the, these people would not come and be involved in this if they thought this was something bad. And they certainly would not keep coming back every year to remain involved if they thought it was bad. And also, you know, when you start something, you don't quite understand all the details of what it's going to turn into. So we, we knew more or less what we were doing. But as we went along in the early years, we realized this is going to work best if we, when we, when we pick somebody to win, we get in touch with them very quietly and we offer them the prize. We give them the chance to say no quietly if they want to. And in most cases, that's what we do. And we make a few exceptions in cases where people are so extremely famous that even if they, uh, they get upset, this, this could not possibly do any damage to them. But, but that, that's a very rare case. So every year, it's, we get one or two people who turn it down for various reasons, and that's fine. And so we never tell anybody. Um, and uh, in some of those cases, years later, they come back to us and they say, you know, I, I really wish I had said yes. And so sometimes we give it to them then. We, now, we, we've had other people get offended 
1995, the chief scientific advisor to the British government learned about the Ig Nobel Prizes. And there have always been a lot of winners from the UK. Always a lot from the Netherlands, too. I've noticed that, actually. Yeah, and uh, Japan uh, is, is another place that notably produces lots of winners. Anyway, I got a letter from the chief scientific advisor, Sir Robert May, saying he just learned about the Ig Nobel Prizes and we should stop this. <laughs> and I thought he was joking. So I wrote him back a letter saying, I'm pretty sure you're joking, but just in case you're not familiar with this, here's what it's about. And, and uh, he had mentioned some new British winners that year. And I said, and these winners are very happy about it. They were in the ceremony and you can see the video of them if you want to. He wrote me back a second letter, much more angry than the first, saying, you should stop giving Ig Nobel Prizes to British scientists, even if they want to receive the prizes. So this... <laughs> but what, yeah, this why, why, why did he not... Why was he not happy? Was he just thinking... I with... think he just had a bad day. <laughs> two, two bad days, really. <laughs> Something, yeah. I think he just... He just... Uh, really, I think he, he probably just had a bad day. He did not check into any details at all. He just assumed things. And uh, it turned out really well for us. We got a lot of favorable attention around the world because of that. You know, it didn't turn out so well for him. He got a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people saying, he, you know, when, when, when scientists behave like that, that's part of the reason why so much of the public is scared of science. Yeah. Uh, but no, do, do, do you ever right. get, do, yeah, do, did you ever get compared to like, other kind of awards like you know the, do you know the darwin awards do, are, are like have you has it ever been compared to that and you were like no we don't want or do you feel like yeah that it's different completely different to that oh people are free to compare anything they like yeah the darwin awards started roughly a year after we started and it's it's funny the darwin awards based on a brilliant idea nobody quite knows whose idea it was the idea that you should give a reward uh, in spirit uh, to people who've done things that um, that result in their own death. You know, they're being too clever. <laughs> yeah. It's death because they, they thought they were being clever and they were being clever in a way that just killed them. Um, and most of them are pretty funny. But that was start, that started appearing on the internet when the internet was much smaller. And in the first stage of it, there were several websites, and they all had the same text. They were copying each other, and it wasn't clear that any one person in any one place was doing it, or if they were, they never revealed themselves. And then as there was one story that was very famous there, which happened not to be true, unfortunately. It was a wonderful story, but it just wasn't true, and that's what drew most of the attention. And a book publisher heard about it. Uh, it was the story of the, the Jato, the... Uh, the uh, rocket that was um, attached to a, a car out in the American Southwest, and it went on a road, you know, very, very fast. The rocket propelled it, and then it came to a turn in the road, and it couldn't turn, so it smashed into something. But that that turned out that's that didn't really happen. But a, a book publisher saw that this was becoming very popular on the internet and tracked down the person who ran one of those many websites and offer them a book contract. And that person wrote a pretty good book about it. And from that moment on, the other websites went away. And from that moment on, there was an, and there has been an official Darwin site. But you, you think yours is complete distinct to the, what the Darwin Awards is about? It's pretty distinct. Uh, there, you know, there can be some overlap. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just the Darwin Awards are explicitly, um, and, 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 and focused on people who've done things that are extremely stupid and foolish. And that's not what we're about. Some of our prizes are for things that probably are pretty foolish, but that's not the point of it. It's that they're funny and they're thought-provoking. And there are a lot of things that are both foolish and brilliant and foolish and very good, just as there are things that are foolish and, and horrible. <laughs> Mark, uh you you mentioned uh, a while ago um that your uh, the whole ceremony is validated by having like a famous uh, scientist and uh i think you refer to the nobel prize laureates yeah, uh, yeah. and how, and others yeah and others of course but um how I, 
do you reach out to them or at this point they are willing to come on and be part of the um, of the event or has it ever been hard to convince one of them um well they're you know all all we can do is invite people and some of them say yes and uh some of them they're not comfortable you know being part of something that's funny so they don't say yes it's you know it's, it's really it's a large group of people and it's like every other large group of people there are some that have a you know a sense of humor about about themselves in public and there are others who just are not so comfortable doing that mm. and can i uh, just about the ceremony ceremony sorry i'm yeah I'm Polish, so in my accent, that's that's why <laughs> Eng English is not my first language. Oh, uh, but as well, as let I me apologize. I'm American, so I apologize for my American accent. And <laughs> <laughs> no, no. um, I was uh, each of us is stuck with our own accent. We're... I think I think we have to. <laughs> can you yeah. explain to me um, the airplane throwing part of the ceremony of the um, of the yeah. event? What, uh, at the ceremony, what mm -hmm. at the ceremony, um, at least every year before this, when we were having it in a big theater, a lot of people who come to be in the audience, who buy tickets to come, they arrive carrying a big stack of paper, and they spend the evening using that paper to make paper airplanes that they throw at the stage, and the people on stage throw the paper airplanes back at them. That started, I think, the second year, um, and it was the audience that started that. And it started because, at least in the in the United States, but I think in in most parts of the world, there's a tradition of kids in school wanting to throw paper airplanes. Now, there's no school that really wants you to do this when you're a kid, but everybody hears about it and wants to be able to do it. And I think this was just a case where people in the audience that second year realized, hey, we can throw paper airplanes here. They probably are not going to stop us. <laughs> They might even like it. And yeah, we did. We did like we do tell people always, you know, be careful, you know, safety first. So, you know, don't be an idiot in, in where you're throwing it. Um, but aside from that, you know, as long as you're a little bit careful, the paper airplanes are great. Yeah, it was so, yeah. so sweet and cute watching it yeah. when people were doing it. Yeah. Online, uh, during well, this year, this year, when when we had to do the whole ceremony online and we couldn't do it in the theater, we wanted to somehow keep the paper airplanes being part of that. And the way we yeah. did that, which you saw, is we invited a lot of people in a lot of different countries to make a short video of themselves, five seconds maybe, um, of them throwing a paper airplane aimed right at the camera. And then we took a lot of those and we made those part of the ceremony. And it's, it's just beautiful to see. And you can see uh, all kinds of people in there um, and all ages. There are some very, very young children. Uh, there's one scientist in there who is, I think, 96 years old. And you, you also get to see there's a great variation, a great variety in the way people make their planes and the way they throw them and also in the quality of the... I don't think yeah. I can make a paper airplane properly. I, I just like fail. There's, I just end up giving up. So maybe well, that's... I, but I think the last thing you said is the, is the important thing here that if you were interested in it, Yeah, you you would not stop, and you would pretty if you were interested in it, you would pretty quickly try little different ways of doing it, and you would pretty quickly find some ways that work, and you would you would become very good at it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Practice makes but, perfect. But you know, perfect. people get to choose what they're interested in. People, nobody mm. can force you to be interested in something. Yeah, and you you use the Harvard Sanders Theater as the usual location. How right. did that? become the home for the Ig Nobel Prize? It's in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where I live. And, and that's where I went to, to college, to university. Like I had mm. classes in that room. It's the biggest classroom also. The, um, the first four years of the ceremony were also in Cambridge, but at the other big university in town, at the Massachusetts Inst Institute of Technology at MIT. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in the fifth year, we moved it down the street 
to Harvard. And oh. It's been there ever since. Uh, the lectures that happened two days later, those always happen back at MIT. So MIT is still part of it. Oh, okay. So there's a bit of a rivalry, like, oh, you lost out on... Yeah, a little uh, bit, a little bit. <laughs> there is a big rivalry there, isn't there? There, like, there are also... Boston is also... It's, a, it's an unusual city. It's, it's, um, it's not that big a city compared to, say, New York. New York is you know, about a five-hour drive south of us, and New York is 10 times as big as Boston is. So we're a little city. But this little city has more, I think it has more universities and colleges than any other city in the world. Mm. Oh, wow. So there, there are lots of them here, all within a very short distance. Of and Ivy League colleges. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all sorts of things. Mm. So it's, you know, that's nice. Um, and there's a lot of, it, it's a big community. So people are not really separated into just this university and just that university at least most people are not yeah was there anyone uh be was there anyone so lucky to get a ig nobel prize from boston oh yet? yeah quite a few yeah quite a few quite. um and part of that a big part of that is that we have so many universities mm. and colleges here and so because of that there are so many scientific institutes here and medical institutes so there are people here from around the world that are Lots of people move to Boston and then stay for the rest of their lives or stay for three years or 10 years or whatever. So a lot of the people that you meet here, they both, yeah, they live here and, and officially this is where they live, but they're from some other country. Yeah. Actually, Boston is on my travel list. I have a very yeah. short travel list because I don't really like traveling, but Boston is yeah. on it. Wait a year or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, okay, so we might as well go on to the uh, 2020 winners. Um, so there was a lot of, like, I'd say, really interesting uh, winners this year. Um, was there any notable papers that just missed the cut um, that you can yeah, think of? Yeah, thousands of them. We, uh. we do not discuss um, nominees. We do not discuss things that might win. We only discuss yeah. the winners. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is what I mentioned before, that when we do pick somebody to win or pick a team, we're going to offer it to them in secret, quietly. So we, sh we can't be discussing that in public. Mm. Of course. Yeah. It's to, uh, I suppose, to save them if they don't want to accept it. And is, that, is that right? In a way, or... yeah. If they don't want to accept it, then they say, "I don't want to accept it," and that's the end of the conversation. Yeah. Okay. Um, and how did this year's ceremony go? Yeah, you've mentioned some of the aspects you did—the virtual um, mm -hmm. airplanes. Um, did you? Could you have it as ideal as you wanted it to be, given the circumstances? Well, given the circumstances, I guess. Um, you know, it's a lot of people organizing it, and it's almost mm. all volunteers, and we're spread across many countries. Uh, it, was, it was a big exercise in logistics. The, the presentation of each prize, um, what happens always is I announce the prize, and then um, the winners appear, mm. and then a Nobel Prize winner appears, and and says congratulations and hands them their prize and shakes their hand. Well, how do you do that if everybody's in a different country? We, we, and, and you need to keep it secret also. And we did it with a series of Zoom calls, secret Zoom calls. And the, so that involves the logistics of getting people in the right time zones. Some of the winners were teams, so we'd have six or seven people spread across several yeah. countries. Uh, me here in the U.S., um, the Nobel Prize winner, wherever they are. That moment, also a musician who would do a little fanfare, you know, the biology prize, blah, 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 blah. Yes. And, and, uh, and an engineer. That's a lot of people to coordinate. Mm. And the, we had a lot of little problems to solve. And one of them was we really wanted to preserve that magic moment when the Nobel Prize winner hands this physical object, this Ig Nobel Prize, oh, to the Ig Nobel winner. How do you do that if you're doing it over the internet? 
And here's how we did it, how we solved that problem. We came up with a physical object that we could email. <laughs> That's so smart. We, we, um, there's a, a man named Eric Workman who works at the Museum of Science in Boston. There's a very good science museum here. And he, he always designs the prize. It's a different design every year. Um, you can see behind me some of the prizes. People just listening uh, will not be able to see it quite as well as you. Yeah. One <laughs> of them I have typing. to mention is the, the bra, the infamous bra that can be, yeah. it's so topical now because uh, it can double as a face mask and this is what yes, everyone that was has to 11 wear. 11 years ago we gave that prize and people thought it was just a funny thing and now lots of people are inventing it as a, again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, thinking that they're the first to do it. Well, they're not the first to do it. No. Yeah. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's behind me here. Um, but anyway, what we did with, with the prize this year was Eric Workman designed a prize that um, we could make into a PDF document, which we emailed to the winners and also to the Nobel Prize winners and told them, print this out. And it has instructions on it. So they would print it out and then it formed the sides of a box oh. with instructions on how to make the box. And each side of the box had pictures and says Ig Nobel Prize. And so when each prize was presented, I would announce the prize. And then the Nobel Prize winner would hold up the box and, and say to the winners, you know, congratulations. Or they would say whatever else they wanted to say. And then the Nobel Prize winner would pick up that box and hold it out beyond the side of the video screen. So it would disappear off, the prize yeah. disappears out the side of the video screen. And then you would see the winner reach out the side of uh, their video screen and pull it in. And if there were, if, if it's a team, you would see the six or seven of them each reaching out and pulling it in at the same time. And of course, things get a little screwed up. So they, they don't always pull in from the same direction. <laughs> <laughs> That that worked out really nicely. Yeah, that's super and, creative. Uh, yeah, so we're we're, we're very happy money. with that. Yeah, and then um, then there's money. Um, we really don't have any money, so we were never able to to give money to the winners. And yet, we figured out a way to do that uh, years ago. That um, Every winning team gets um, cash. They get a $10 trillion bill from Zimbabwe. That has a history too. The Zimbabwe government official who created those $10 trillion bills won an Ig Nobel Prize many years ago for doing that. So this is you know, history. Yeah, it all um, come back around. E echoing. And... This year, in the ceremony, that's how we use the same kind of mechanism. We scanned a $10 trillion bill, made it into a PDF document, and then sent that to the winners, and then handed it to them mm. through the internet that way. So what they I, got this year was a genuine counterfeit $10 trillion bill. <laughs> I really liked watching you kind of trying to struggle. Uh, while, pass <laughs> while passing the bill, I noticed that you always kind of struggle. I thought it was really entertaining. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't always pass easily through the internet. So sometimes you yeah. have to push it or pull it a little bit to get it yeah. to go. And um, I was uh, I was looking through um, some of the some of the winners, and some of them had very interesting papers, actually. Um, well, that's why they won prizes. From yeah, that. yeah, yes. Uh, I the one for the paper about the misophonia. Uh -huh. I I I can a little bit relate to it. I don't have it, but I think my dad has it because I remember when we were like when I was really young, and we were uh, uh, we were like at the time living together. Mm. I was eating dinner and my dad would literally stand up and walk away from me and move to the different room. And my mom was like, what, where are you going? And my dad, I can't eat with him. He's making too wow. much noise. Wow. So uh, maybe I should translate this paper for my dad so he can have yeah, a read. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that paper was written in the Netherlands. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah I'm, uh, I, I, I know. They, yeah, even, they even have a clinic in Amsterdam where they specialize in treating patients for this. Mm. The, the winners yeah. are the people who, who came up with that name, misophonia, for this. 
It's it's interesting one because um I I have a problem with my housemate as well because I he gets yeah. very triggered by when I'm eating as well. And he's is, he says is it, is it when you're eating anything or eating only certain kinds of food? maybe certain yeah more certain types of food and he says that it's make, rude. I'd like he, to make a I'd like to make a suggestion. Take notes. You know, keep a, <laughs> keep some paper and and a pen right there on the dinner table and take notes about yeah. which foods offend him and which foods do not. And what him. days of the week? <laughs> and yeah. yeah. But one of the things he always says is like it's it's a it's rude to chew with your mouth open, and I'd be like, but I think I come from a family where no one cares. But he would be like, no, it's rude. So do you think? Do what do you think? Do you think it is like a a rude thing, or is it to chew with your mouth open, or is it just something that uh, is it's the problem with the person who has the misophonia? Well, if it's a problem for one person, it's a problem for everybody. It's and what do you what do you do when you have a problem between people? You you try to talk it over and find something that will make it um, at least tolerable for both of you. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. Or, or uh, you don't. Suppose, <laughs> well, well, no, no, but if you want yeah, to solve it, it, you try to solve it. <laughs> It's, you know, it's if, if, it's, if, if, one, yeah. if there are two people and one person says this is a big problem and the other says no it's not a problem it's still a problem <laughs> yeah yeah that's, yeah i think that's something for me to take on board i suppose <laughs> yeah but maybe you know maybe maybe this other person can compromise also mm, I, that's yeah. what a compromise is <laughs> you, maybe you both um, change a little bit or yeah. maybe you agree you will only eat certain foods by going out of the room or something like mm. that. But you, you know, he has to allow you to eat. You, you, ha you should not have to starve and die. That's, that's, not, that's not right to allow him to kill you that way. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, good, good, uh, good points to say it back to him. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that was... Uh, do, 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 you, do you suffer from it? Do you ever find yours? Um, no, <laughs> not much. I, but I, I have one good friend who um, I think suffer is not even the word. She <laughs> glories in it. <laughs> and she's a psychology professor as well. And uh, all of her friends find it very amusing. And, and she finds it amusing. Uh, Soft boiled eggs especially are, are uh, horrible to her. So she she's making this. Oh, she can't stand the sound. Okay. Yeah, she she never allows anybody in her family to eat soft boiled eggs, at least not while she's in the building. Oh yeah, and many other foods too, but especially soft boiled eggs. Nice. Um, was there as well? Was there any papers that you were like, wow? I thought from the winners that you really thought. I suppose you'd say you thought everyone embellished it, but was there any one particular one that you really um, stood out to you this year? No? All of them. All of them. I suppose <laughs> you put them. so much part work of, into it. Part of the enjoyment for me is that there's so much work leading up to the ceremony that there's not any real way to sit back and relax and, and just read it to enjoy. Yeah. And so that, that for me happens afterwards. And also, uh, every time I have conversations with people, as is happening now, if we're talking about a specific paper and we start talking about the details, other people will notice things that I don't. And, and inevitably, all of these papers have lots of details that are really interesting and some of them very funny too that I didn't notice and nobody else noticed. It's, some of it, it takes years, you know, thousands of people see this and then one person notices, hey, did you see what they did here? And sometimes it's even better than the thing we gave a prize for. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually speaking on that, because I looked at the the narcissist paper, the the the, the paper was uh, Miranda, Miranda and Nicholas for devising a method to identify narcissists by examining their eyebrows. Um, uh -huh. And it was interesting when I, because I went through the paper to see um, what did they study. And uh, it's interesting that they, they uh, so they got these individuals, they recruited them and they, they took the pic their pictures and then they did a narcissism um, index to see how narcissistic they were. And then they, they looked at the eyes, but then 
So they looked at the total eye region and then when they occluded the eyes but not the eyebrows and then the eyebrows, when they occluded the eyebrows and they showed that it wasn't indirectly the eyebrows, it was just by taking the eyes out or the lower face and stuff like that. So it was really interesting how uh, the way they devised the, the to deduce what the Yeah, that's, that's true with almost all of these is not only are these things clever, but if you stop and look at, if, if you back up and ask yourself, if I were going to do this, you know, how would I do this? If I really wanted to find the answer, how would I do that? And often you realize almost nobody would have thought of this clever way of trying it. You know, I'm sure that's true for, for each of you and, and probably for everybody, things you do in, in your own life that you came up with some clever way of doing something and nobody else is going to notice because the thing is not something they pay attention to. But the fact is you had to come up with something really clever to do that. And, 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 and you will probably never ever in your whole life get credit for that moment of cleverness. I, I found something that really resonated with me when I was reading the, uh, the paper from the Material Science Prize um, mm -hmm. the, for showing that knives manufactured from frozen human feces do not work well. And uh, mm -hmm. like the title is, is, in itself... Does, does that agree with your own experience, by the way? <laughs> I haven't tested that yet. Uh, oh. but, um, <clears throat> but beyond the, the, obviously, the funny title, when I dived into the article, I found something in the conclusion that uh, mm -hmm. it's so, it's so true and it's so like profound. The, the, I just gonna paraphrase it: the use of untested claims becomes the norm, and the, and can be used to support stands that are beneficial to society as well as those that are harmful. And I think this is so true that with this particular paper, uh, it was a story that was uh, that was a tale more of it more of it than a story, and then. People would believe it because it sound, sounds believable, and it wasn't proven wrong until until it, would, it was tested. So I was, yeah, it, I was really so not surprised by, maybe positively surprised that I could find so much depth of analysis uh, within that quote unquote funny paper. Yeah. That was yeah. uh, that was really nice, and yeah, uh, and I can actually relate to it myself. I'm, I'm glad um, to hear that, yeah. um, because when I was small. Um, I like eating candy, a lot of candy, a lot of sweets. And mm -hmm. uh, my mom didn't like that fact at all. And one time she told me, if I keep eating candies, at some point I'm going to develop worms between my ass cheeks. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she said, this is true if you eat a lot of candies. And then I would like stop eating candies. And at some point I was like, I really want a candy. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to risk it and see what happens. And then I figure out that my mom was lying to me. So... <laughs> ah. Did you stop talking to her for the rest of your life? No, no, no. Oh, good. no we still we still on a good terms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was um, it was really um, yeah. I was surprised to find that depth yeah. of analysis and so. It's a shame that that's not true because if it were true, you could then use those worms to do what one of the other new Ig Nobel Prize winners <laughs> did this year. Remember, we gave the physics prize to some people in Australia who um, vibrated worms at high frequency. Mm. So you, you could have done that if you, I, I could in have fact, were them. producing worms after you ate candy. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't, I'm not sure if my knowledge of physics is good enough, but I would, I would probably try. I'm sure they have well-described protocols in their paper. So I could well, they didn't, that. yeah, but they didn't, you know, they didn't know before they did it what was going to happen mm, either. Yeah. That's why yeah. they did it, to see what would yeah, happen. That's true. That's true. Um, and then as well, in relation, I suppose you have to kind of mention it, the medical education prize to the, all the uh -huh. leaders in the, the, um, a lot of countries that maybe didn't do particularly well in the pandemic. What, what is your take on politics involvement in science uh, and vice versa? Is it too much or too little? <laughs> That's a long discussion, yeah. uh, which begins with the question, what do you mean by politics? <laughs> Yeah, I think government. Well, there are a lot of people who um, who want to do particular things that 
benefit them. And if anybody disagrees with that, that those people say, well, you disagree because of politics. And that happens with science a lot. There are a lot of people who want to, um, typical things, people who have factories that, that are making things that kill people by accident. You know, there used to be a lot of factories that would dump poisonous chemicals into the water and it would you know, kill people who drank the water. And pretty much around the world, that only stopped when enough people got upset about it. But the people who owned those factories would say, well, this is a political question. It's not a scientific question. And that's... You know, that's that's just lying. <laughs> it's yeah. not a political question. It's, this is a question of life and death, people. Um, it's, a, it's an economic question. You can look at it that way, but it's not a political question. And yet, by by saying it's a political question, they're they're really um, trying to um, to take away any real discussion, keep any real discussion from happening. Yeah, yeah it's it's like saying, well, it doesn't involve facts. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's kind of a way of just kind of keeping yeah. the science at bay. So, 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 whenever people ask me questions like that about politics and science being involved with each other, if they have a little time, I'm happy to talk about it. But if they just want a yes or no answer, that's that's foolish. I mean, that's, that's a question that, that does not have a yes or no answer just to that simple question phrased yeah. that way. Um, I don't think any of uh, the recipients wanted to uh, receive the award. Did, did Boris maybe or Trump? <laughs> get... Well, I don't know. We, we tried. You know, that, that's a case. We went to, uh, that was a medical education prize and went to the leaders of nine different countries for using the COVID-9 pandemic to um, show the world that political leaders have a, a more immediate effect on life and death than doctors and scientists mm. do. Now, this was a case where we tried to get in touch with them, but it's very difficult yeah. to get in touch with the leader of any country, so we were not able. But these are all extremely famous people, so nothing is going to bad is going to happen to them, you know, even in the worst case, because they got an Ig Nobel Prize. So in, in this kind of rare case, we give it even though we were not able to, to offer them and the, the chance to say yes or no. Um, you know, I, I like to think that they would uh, all want to come and that maybe they will come in the future and take a bow as Ig Nobel winners. We always oh, yeah. invite winners, come, come back in a future year and take a bow. People are always happy to see you. Yeah, yeah. Well, it would. Yeah, it would be spectacular if uh, any of the laureates from that prize would show up. Yeah, well, these are all people who do like getting public attention, so could happen. <laughs> Finger like, crossed. I, would I like winning like awards. Um, yeah, so uh, I think yeah, there were. I think that was a good um, selection of papers. Kind of we kind of discussed. Um, so maybe before like we end the call out um yeah you you were really busy it sounds like you're a super busy guy organizing all these events and doing all the different events like being a science communicator speaker and writer how like how do you find the time to manage all of this do you do you ever have to take a step back to appreciate how much you've done to popularize the science i don't know how 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 does you know how does anybody find the time to do what they're doing <laughs> I use you know, Outlook you, agenda. You, if, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's really the answer. If if there's something that you you want to do and you want to make sure it happens, you you find a way to do it. You know, you ask. If you don't know how to do it, you ask people who who might know. And you know, if you get lucky, uh, you can learn something from them. And if you're not so lucky, then you try to you try things. You invent things. Yeah, that's a that's a really good attitude to have. I think Tom, yeah. you are very much like that as well. I think. Well, yeah, I kind of believe in the same things. Yeah. If something has to be done, let's get yeah, do it. Just find a way to do it, and yeah. and try to find a, a a way that makes sense and that 
you know, is easy rather than difficult. <laughs> you know. is, is there anything you there's, would like to know? There's an old, there's, a, there's an old um, acronym in uh, English that, that maybe you both know, maybe, um, uh, about that, K-I-S-S, KISS, you know, which stands for, the letters stand for, keep it simple, stupid. Oh, <laughs> and now I will know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, is there anything you would like people to know or to take away from the Ig Nobel Prize from this? Uh, what would you like? Yeah, what would that, you like them uh, to take away? Well, two things. One is that there's all kinds of stuff that you run across every day, no matter who you are, that probably is really interesting to you if you stop and look at it. But if you don't stop and look at it, it's not going to be interesting. Mm. And the fact that something makes you laugh, that, that doesn't tell you anything except it's interesting. That doesn't tell you whether that it's foolish or that it's, or that it's important. It just tells you it's interesting. And the other thing is that people can go to our website and find lots and lots of this stuff at improbable.com. You know, there are links to all of the Ig Nobel winners over 30 years. Um, videos of the ceremonies, videos of lots of other stuff. And every day or two or three, we're putting up stuff uh, on the website, in the blog, and, um, and uh, you know, the magazine. The magazine is full of things like this that people send us. So, you know, whenever, for each of you, if, if you run across something that makes you laugh and, and then you cannot stop thinking about it. Um, show it to your two or three best friends the way you always do. And then if you think the rest of the world should know about it, send it to us and maybe we'll try to to show it to some other people too. Actually, Mark, uh, just today I came across something that I thought you might find funny. Um, yes. So um, I was thinking about it in the terms of maybe Ig Nobel Prize for Literature. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, there is a there is a book on Amazon, and it's called Kiss Corona. Yeah, so yes. it's a sixteen page novel about yeah. a scientist um, yeah. who fell in love. She fell in love with coronavirus, and it's uh, uh -huh. and kind of kept in the themes of an adult romantic erotic novel. So um, huh. <laughs> so it's between the romance between the sample of coronavirus and yeah. uh, and the scientist. And I have gone through two pages out of 16, which makes uh -huh. kind of 12% of the book. <laughs> and, and, I'm, and I'm looking forward to finishing uh, that, that It's book. a 12-page book and you only got two pages deep. It must be very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that that well, basic story is not so different, though, um, from something that, that we did, that I did. Part of the Ig Nobel ceremony every year is an opera. Yes. I always write a little opera about some, something in science, and it's performed by some opera singers and by the Nobel laureates who are part <laughs> of the show. Uh, and many years ago, maybe 15 or so years ago, the, the opera was called Atom and Eve, and it was a romance between a chemist named Eve and an oxygen atom. <laughs> the whole opera was about how they would, could they find a way to get together on the same scale? And they did. They <laughs> did. managed to do it in the end, but only briefly. So and it's called Eve and the Atom. Adam and Eve, yeah. And if you go to our website, if you poke around in the, the, uh, the history section, the archive section of the Ig Nobel thing, you can see the performance of that opera. Because oh, I really it's enjoyed the the, yeah. the the 2020 opera about the bugs. I thought it was a... Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, well, yeah. That was, that was, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very proud of that opera. I, I think, uh, I think we all did a really good job. I'm Could so you explain it? Sorry, because I, I didn't actually see it. We pick a theme every year for the ceremony, not necessarily for the things that win, but for the opera and the other things. And this year, the theme was bugs. The prize had pictures of bugs on every side of that box. Okay. And the opera was about bugs. The opera, um, I, I, um, I took a story that most people know that um, was written by Franz Kafka, 
you probably know the story called in English, the title is Metamorphosis. It's about somebody who awakens one day and discovers that he's been transformed into a big insect. Oh, and, uh, I don't think a, I've a few years ago. That. Really? Oh, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, you might, you might track it down. Yeah, it's yeah, easy to definitely. Find. Yeah. And um, that story is what happens in his home over you know, in the days after that, in the weeks after that. And I went uh, a couple of years ago for the first time, I went to Prague and there's a nice little museum there about Kafka. I went to the museum and then I got excited about Kafka again and started reading some of his things and, and, and read that again. And I started wondering what would happen in this story if it went in the other direction. Somebody wakes up one day and realizes, although I have always been a human being, excuse me, although I have always been a cockroach, I have been transformed overnight, and now I'm a disgusting human being. Huh. So what, what, ha what would happen after that? How would his family react? Um, when scientists heard about it, how would the scientists react to it? When the general public, everybody in the country hears about it, how would they react? And that's what the opera is about. Yeah, it was really enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. I think kind of timely too. Yeah, yes. I was, I just, uh, I didn't mention it earlier, but the whole team of the Ig Nobel Prize this year, the idea yeah. with Bugs was yeah. like really on the nose, really smart. I, oh, thanks. Bugs is such a nice word in, in I, I think most languages, Bugs has, that word has many meanings. Certainly mm. in English, it has many, mm. many meanings. Yeah. And uh, um, it allows us to play with it. Um, by the way, feel free if if you want for the podcast to take some sound from that webcast. Yeah, from the opera or anything else, if you want to include little bits Th of it. Thank would, you so much. That would be a good idea. Sure. Uh, and here's an example of the the operatic section from the 2020 Ig Nobel Prize. My favorite, and now I know why. And now that I know I'm a bad bug, I'm so happy that I could cry. I love that to see Max Bowet's high, and see Max below sounds too. And without an ounce of I suppose final question um before we wrap it up um yeah, yeah. we've I've mentioned like you've been doing this for 30 years like I think that's longer than both of us have been alive no offense <laughs> but uh how much lo like how much longer do you take planning to go do you want to just keep going as long as you can or um and how like what what uh, legacy how will you keep the legacy going of this yeah um, well you know I when when I got when I first started doing this, which involved a lot of luck, I realized how, how much I liked it. And so I decided that I always want to keep doing this, but I've got to make sure that if I want to keep doing this, I have to make sure that I keep it interesting for mm -hmm. myself. So that's always been a very important mm -hmm. rule for me. And I think for anybody who is doing something they enjoy doing, you know, you really... No matter what you're doing, there are parts of it that are not so enjoyable that just have to be done. So you have to find ways to keep it interesting. And I've worked hard at that. And I, <laughs> I intend to continue working hard at that as long as I can. Um, there are a lot of other people involved. And so I'm hoping that, you know, after I'm gone or, you know, slow down or whatever, that other people will take it. And I'm sure it will, it will change. And, uh, you know, that'll, that'll, be, that'll be a great thing to see what other people do with it. But you've def mm. you've definitely managed to keep it interesting, anyways. So, well done. <laughs> well, thank you. That's that's the whole point of it. <laughs> and, uh, just on my end, I s sincerely hope that you're gonna be the master of the ceremony for the next thirty years, if not. Oh more. well, thank you. So do I. It's very nice of, <laughs> of you to say. Yeah. And, so, and by the uh, way, you know there are yeah. some there are some Ig Nobel winners right in the town where you are. So I hope you'll uh, find them and maybe. Um, I don't know whether it's possible for people to get together for meals or things, but if you mm. could meet for a cup of coffee or something, they're very interesting people there. 
Yeah, no, I uh, will definitely. Well, I definitely try because I'm still in Nijmegen and uh, Evan is yeah. back in Ireland at the moment. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, there are, there are some winners in Ireland, not not as many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, that was the one in, in so, Nijmegen. So work, in work on that. Yeah, that work was, on that. Yeah. Yeah, work on that, Evan. Uh, Find some. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. I must, look, I must look up that. I don't actually, I'm not aware yeah. of the Irish winners. Um, but yeah, anyways, yeah. Uh, thanks again for uh, talking to us and giving us, giving us some insight on the improv- Ig Nobel Prize. Uh, and we'll be on the edges of our seats to see what 2021 has in store for this weird and wonderful scienti- scientific achievements in the world. Um, thanks and thanks and if for you have any more on. any yeah. final comments to make before we uh, end yes yes um i i think you each of you will probably enjoy very much your 30th birthday when you reach it <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> and i and i hope you continue for many many years after that thank you uh, thank, thank you, you so much. much that was mark abrams uh on the ig nobel prize 2020 it was a super insightful interview and we're very thankful for him coming on Join us next week where uh, we hope to discuss more science. Uh, What are you going to discuss, Tom? So I have prepared a paper about mice in space. And this is in connection to uh, John from episode three talking about mission on Mars and talking about Venus. There is loads of space exploration. So I thought it would be fun to investigate how mice react in space. We might get John back for a next episode. Hopefully you enjoyed that episode and we will... Catch you on the next one. Stay skeptical. Bye.